0: Hooray! Welcome. Are you there? I'm here. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Welcome. Uh, We are eight minutes late. You know, I saw you in the chat. There's no siren at night. Uh, This was an organic lateness. Um, At least we we do it organically sometimes. Uh, Welcome. This is a live episode of Pop Culture on Deprogrammed. I am one of your hosts, Carrie Smith, and I'm joined, as always, by... My lovely co-host, Mystery Chris. Hello.
1: Hi. What's going on?
0: (laughs) My life has been crazy this week. (laughs) Why don't you hit me with some frivolity, something fun from your life instead?
1: So I watched uh, a couple of things, a lot of things this weekend actually, but uh, one was really bad. The other one was pretty good. So I've been uh, watching some of the other pop culture, you know, YouTubers uh, make some videos on the new Resident Evil series. On I,
0: I started watching it.
2: Watch it. We can talk about this. All right. Okay.
1: Because, uh, you know, I, I saw like, and because like Critical Drinker and S and some others once were saying how bad it was. And I was like, well, I don't want to watch their videos uh, cause I want to watch the whole thing for myself and then come to my own conclusions about it. So that's what I did. Cause I was thinking, hey, hey, how, how, how bad could it be? I was like, I was like, it's, it's pretty bad.
2: <laughs>
0: really? Okay. So I was pleasantly surprised. You know really? what? I haven't seen any, any of our friends videos about it. So I don't know what they think about it. Uh, I, but I assume they might not like it. And I think I had heard someone say it was a little woke and, uh, but I've, I think I'm on episode three or four, and I like it. Well, first of all, tell me what you, what you don't like about it.
1: Uh, well, I, part of the narrative, part of the story concentrates on two teenage girls. And I, right. throughout the series, they pay a great deal of attention to those girls. And the whole story revolving around them just comes out as very like, CW high school type drama where the things that are the conflict are kind of ridiculous. Like it, it, it felt like something that didn't even start off as uh, part of uh resident evil. Like it was a different show, uh, maybe a show that the writers came up with to, to try to, uh, um, piggyback on the popularity of stranger things or something, and they thought, well, this thing isn't strong enough to sell it on its own. We need to kind of pair it with some popular you know property and they looked through the list and I was like, mm, what about Resident Evil? There hasn't been a Resident Evil you know series, and you know the movie sucked so let, <laughs> let's let 's try the series and so they did that, and ultimately that storyline because it, it flash forwards between the future and the past mm-hmm. and Neither one really coalesced. It, it, it doesn't come together well. It's really done poorly. Um, I, I thought the very end of the show gets very cynical. Like the whole thing's
0: Have you seen the whole series? Yes. Okay, I haven't seen the whole thing yet.
1: Yeah, I won't spoil anything. But, you know, all the characters, uh, the main characters are completely selfish and self-centered to the point where they're actually pointing this out in the show, where characters will... You know, criticize another character for being selfish and motivated. You know, for pure self interest, and it just comes off as very cynical, almost yeah. kind of, dare I say, nihilistic. There's nihilistic. even a speech at the end one of the characters gives, and it's just a very cold, dark speech about human nature that I think kind of reflects the writer's view on on humans and life itself.
0: Okay, so. Here are my initial thoughts. Oh, I had to put Adam up there. He said "resident <laughs> reeval," <laughs> and uh, looks like people in the chat who've seen it kind of agree with you. Hello, Sonora Baptiste. He says, "Oh, Carrie, LOL." That series is atrocious. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> well, it may be the unpopular opinion here tonight, but first my criticisms. Um, well, actually, no. First, why, why? This is in my. This is in the genre of things I like anyway, and I, I love as you know, zombie comics, mm-hmm. films, books. I love uh, Rhiannon Freighter's whole series, As the World Dies, like, and, um, and I, and I like the first Resident Evil movie. And anyway, so I was curious about it, and and I went into it hoping to be pleasantly surprised. And first thing I noticed, yes, they have a lot. They're sort of going out of their way to make every character a woman of color. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is there going to be any white people in this at all? (laughs) Uh, But, and and I get it. That's kind of, that's, it is a little woke in the casting in that when when they're, they're trying to have a diverse cast, they don't actually mean diverse. They mean as many people of color as possible and very few white people. And when there are white people, let's make them bad guys, you know, Um, that kind of thing that, that Ryan uh, Canal got in trouble for saying about the Batman movie. Um, but, uh, so that that's going on for sure. But that being said, I think, I think the storyline is interesting. I think the action sequences are, are great. And there's the, the kind of fight scenes that I like, and you will be shocked to learn that Anthony watched a little bit with me, which it's completely not in his genre of, he never watches horror or anything. And, he just busts out laughing because I get so he's like, This is crazy like you get so excited. There's that one part where the bad guy, this is probably episode three, maybe. The bad guy who works for Umbrella, that he's like the fat white guy. Yes. And he's always on top of the Humvee in a suit yes. Riding around He's hilarious At first I hated him I'm like what a cartoon character you are You you never die You're always in your suit on a Humvee <laughs> Like evil white guy showing up And you don't do anything right And yet you don't die And at first I hated him But then by the time we get to that episode Where they're in the prison together And he started growing on me And he starts hit the fight scenes with him Killing all the zombies I was like oh I want that guy on my team <laughs>
3: <laughs> he's actually,
0: it's actually, it was great. It was entertaining. Did he um, remind
1: you of Jack Black?
0: He. Oh, that's what Anthony said. He said, this is a poor man's Jack Black. Yep. But, but um, I will say what you're saying about the high school storylines, that's true. So anybody who hasn't seen it, they flash back and forth between um, the main character of the present day, which is sort of, I, I guess, 2032 or something. Six. 36 2036 and they go back in time to the past which is 2022 Mm -hmm. when she was in high school she and her sister and so you do get some of that um the wb kind of high school drama that's not very interesting i agree um i guess i'm mostly there for the scenes in 2036 (laughs) and and then there are some little, just the some lazy writing things that I don't like. That's true. There are things like, for example, I just don't believe that she's a scientist. She just doesn't come off <laughs> that way in the future. You know what I mean? It's like, I can believe that she is a badass. Uh, she's obviously trained for the part to be able to do the action scenes. And I can believe that about the character, but she doesn't, I just don't believe that she's out there doing all these science experiments with rabbits and stuff on the zombies. Like, no and the the other thing um with the poor writing is in the flashbacks to 2022 when the outbreak starts i just isn't it so stupid that westgard knows his daughter has been infected but he's just like i guess you'll go to school today and i'll go to work like Privately, he knows she only has a day left before she turns, but he's like, Yeah, yeah, go to school. I'm gonna go to work and sit down on a marketing meeting. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) It just isn't, it's that part's not realistic, you know? So, anyway, overall, I'm enjoying it. Um,
1: Okay, okay. Well, finish the series and then we'll have to read this, see if your opinion changes at all. Okay. It's one of the greatest shows ever made.
0: I don't. I wouldn't. I don't think I'm going to say it's one of the greatest, <laughs> greatest shows ever made. I'm just say pleasantly surprised. So put it that. Way. My bar is pretty low right now, considering the state yeah. of entertainment. So, two scissors and some yarn. You guys give it up for her. She's moderating tonight. She says smash the like button, or Carrie makes Anthony watch more episodes. That's okay. that's true. Hit the like, or he'll be watching people hit zombies. Uh, also, I saw at the very beginning of the chat. I can't find it now, but somebody was asking about becoming a mod. I don't know who you are, but just email us at deprogrampod at gmail.com if you're interested in helping out. Sorry, I can hear my housemates in the other room. Uh, okay, so why don't you set up – what were you going to oh,
1: say? I was going to say, by the, uh, before we move on, uh, I just <laughs> want to say that uh, I watch a show that I like because I don't want to always just talk about shows that suck. Um, I've been watching uh, the show The Rehearsal. Uh, starring uh, Nathan Fielder. Do you ever watch that show Nathan for you on Comedy Central?
0: No, I've heard uh, about. It. I think I've seen a clip.
1: The dumb Starbucks. Probably that's probably like the biggest thing he did. But yeah, he has a new show on HBO Max, and it's pretty funny. I'm, I'm enjoying that. Something something good to enjoy.
0: Uh, well, I haven't heard of that one, but I will say in the chat, Alan is asking. He says, "I bet Anthony likes westerns." He does. He was watching Unforgiven last night, which I don't. I thought I had seen, but maybe I haven't. The Clint Eastwood movie. Have you seen that?
1: No, I've never seen it.
0: I walked in for a couple scenes. I I mean, I might go back and watch the whole thing myself. It looked great, Um, but yeah, that's kind of his favorite.
1: So. Well, I just watched The Wild Wild West again.
0: Is that the one with
1: Will Smith? Smith? (laughs) 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 Do
0: you like, like that one?
1: What? Do you like it? I I used to think it wasn't that bad, but in this last watching, I was like, "This really is pretty bad." Because the thing is, I I still think there at the core, there's something there. There there's some I I love that blend of western and science fiction slash kind of steampunk. I like that aspect, but the execution just sucked. I thought Will Smith was miscast. He and um, Klein Kevin Klein uh, didn't have chemistry at all. It just, it it didn't work, but I would be in favor of that movie being remade. Like with
0: different actors?
1: Different actors. Keep the, the blend of science fiction and Western, but uh, do it uh, not as over the top. And I think you could come up with a, a very interesting story, because we don't see a lot of blends, you know, between like Western and other things, other than what, you know, uh, uh, Feet Guy, what's his name? Uh, feet Guy? Yeah, uh, Tarantino. Yeah. 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 Does he have a foot fetish? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you ever heard
0: about this?
1: (laughs) No. Yeah, he has a foot fetish. And if you notice in all of his movies, there's shots where there are close-ups of people's feet. You'll notice. No. Once once you hear that, you can't, like, not notice it. Like, I watched Kill Bill a while back, and there was a a big close-up of Uma... uh, uh, Uma, um, in Thurman's feet, Thurman's you're
0: right. Feet. Oh wow! Um, I'll tell you what my husband's not going to like when he watches this later. He can't stand the word feet, and and even <laughs> even worse, he can't, st- <laughs> huh? oh, <laughs> he can't Huh? The word toe. Oh, gross! the word. I have to spell it t o e because he's like, oh, gross. <laughs> so, okay. Somebody in the chat said they're watching Justified heard of that uh which is great and yeah sonora baptiste is also saying it's a great series yeah i love that series so um okay so why don't you set up set up what we're talking about tonight and i'm going to fix my audio real quick
1: uh so tonight we are talking about the censorship of comedy we're going to talk about a few of the comedians in past 60 years or so who have either been censored in terms of government coming after them for their speech or people who are being or attempting to be canceled like Dave Chappelle. So we're going to explore all that tonight.
0: Yeah, this has been, this is a timely topic tonight just because of what happened to Chappelle the past week, which I've talked about a little bit during the curfew break episodes, the live shows on Mondays and Fridays. Um, But it's just a, Unfortunately, it's become an evergreen topic the past few years is censorship and stand-up comedy. And for anyone who's new to the channel, if you are new to the channel, consider hitting like and subscribe, by the way. This is our our live Wednesday night entertainment show. Um, but uh I used to work in in comedy. I was a manager and producer and um worked with a lot of stand up comedians who then also transitioned to television writing and and late night shows and that kind of stuff. Um and so I do have some real world anecdotes, I guess, about censorship. But we're gonna start just laying out some of the facts with like the history of censorship and comedy. Um, but why don't we start with, like you said, the first, the thing that's in the news right now. So this is a statement from a theater in Minneapolis. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, I know some of you have probably seen this already. It's from the First Avenue venue, but we're going to put it on the screen for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, just so we can read it and catch everybody up. So this is a statement from the First Avenue venue. It says, the Dave Chappelle show tonight at First Avenue has been canceled and is moving to the Varsity Theater. To staff artists in our community, we hear you and we are sorry. We know that we must hold ourselves to the highest standards, and we know we let you down. We are not just a black box with people in it, and we understand that First Avenue is not just a room, but meaningful beyond our walls. The First Avenue team and you have worked hard to make our venues the safest spaces in the country, and we will continue with that mission. (laughs) Are you laughing? (laughs) i know it's like a comedy club a safe space, space.
2: what the
0: F are you talking about <laughs> oh my goodness okay we believe in diverse voices and the freedom of artistic expression but okay so it, now we know that they don't actually believe in anything they just said we believe in diverse voices and the freedom of artistic expression no you don't Uh, But in honoring that, we lost sight of the impact this would have. We know there are some who will not agree with this decision. You are welcome to send feedback. By the way, they turned off the comments on this tweet. So I guess they didn't Uh like the feedback that they welcomed. Um, (laughs) You can no longer comment on it or give feedback. Okay, if you're a ticket holder, looking anyway, they tell you how you can get your ticket switched over to a different theater. Now, notice, it's not like they moved the show. They didn't. Chappelle's people had to find another venue and work out how to give every, make sure the tickets got transferred and everything. These people simply just canceled Dave Chappelle, the goat of comedy, canceled him because of some mean tweets on Twitter, because of a mob of social justice people coming after them because they dared to put to book one of the greatest stand-up comedians of all time. They canceled Dave Chappelle. I st- I still kind of can't quite wrap my head around it because he's one of those that I sort of thought that he's cancel proof in a way mm-hmm. that he, that, you know, he's reached that level of, of access and notoriety and fame through his work that he, he kind of, they can't do anything to him when he expresses wrong think, but look, this theater in Minneapolis thinks they can, none of that's good enough for them. They believe in diverse voices and the freedom of artistic expression, but they're going to cancel this black man who's doing comedy there.
1: But it, it it doesn't make sense because they already knew the controversy surrounding Dave Chappelle. If they were truly against that, then they would have you know they would have canceled it long ago in case it was booked out months or something. But if it was booked not too long ago, then they would have never gone through with it. But instead, they were going to have the show, and then I guess some people on Twitter or something created uproar, and they're like, "Okay, yeah, we'll cancel them. It's like that doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, it's, they, they're they cowards. They yeah. don't stand for anything. It's like you can't withstand, which somebody, I think it was comedian Josh Denny had a great point about this on Twitter, was sort of saying, look, this is why a lot of us who are doing comedy these days, do not we don't have a name as big as Chappelle's, and this is why we have to keep our venues secret until the last minute, because otherwise they'll cancel us in a second. They'll cancel Dave Chappelle for sure they'll they'll cancel someone like Josh Denny or any other comedian, you know. It's sort of like um, when Trump got banned from Twitter, I don't really care about what you think about Trump's tweets. The fact that they they felt they could ban, they could censor, they could deplatform the President of the United States. <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, you you stand we stand no chance, you know what I mean?
1: Like, and the thing is, this couldn't have been the first theater that was getting all these complaints with people on Twitter that has had Dave Chappelle there. There's been numerous other ones prior to this. And no matter how many messages were directed towards their way, they didn't cancel the show. Now, did anything happen to these theaters? Did the Wokesters decide not to, to go to these theaters anymore? Did, are these theaters, you know, on the edge of going out of business because they had Dave Chappelle there? No, So why did this theater think that this would do damage to their reputation or whatever that would negatively impact them You know, financially?
0: Well, somebody said, I just saw this in the chat and I heard this as well. I don't know if this is true, but I heard this also. Thank you, Mr. BDB. He says, uh, did I hear right that the staff were the culprits and walked or threatened to walk? Um, I heard that also that there was like a staff protest. And, you know, my answer to this is if if you are an employer and you have employees who are threatening to walk um, because they have a problem with the art that you're booking, then let them walk and replace them.
2: Yeah. Fire them. <laughs>
0: Call their bluff. And, you know, what you could have called Chappelle's people and said, I've got 50, 60% of my staff, however many people it is walking out. I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to do the show that night. Can you help us find some people? Chappelle could have helped you boost that signal. Hey, does does somebody need a job in Minneapolis? Because there's certainly a lot of jobs open at the theater now. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Come save the day. I mean, that would have been a great marketing opportunity for them. Right. Half of our staff walked. They're Wokies. We let them walk. You know, they don't even have to despair. They don't even have to say they're woke. They could just say we had people who protested who don't agree with our uh, uh, our editorial decisions or you know our booking decisions in this case who don't agree with who we, who we booked on this night and so they they said they're not going to work so we let them go. So anybody want to come work the
1: show, you're hired. You know, even like if it was a staff, it's probably only like a couple because Dave Chappelle still has a lot of clout with you know a lot of people even if they're on the left because he's Dave Chappelle. There's still yes. lots of people that even though they claim to adhere to this, this strict doctrine of, you know, leftism, still love Dave Chappelle. And I don't think they would let their, you know, adherence to this doctrine get in the way of them, uh, you know, being around Dave Chappelle or going to the show or doing whatever.
0: Yeah. I yeah, I'd, I can't imagine it was that many. But, like, even if it was, you know, let them go. Because what you're doing is you're, you're teaching them that the, be- the way to behave, if they don't get their way, is to act like a toddler. Mm-hmm and to pitch a fit and to yeah. threaten not to show up. You don't do that with students. If they're like, well, I'm not coming to class. I guess <laughs> you're gonna fail the test today then, sorry. Like that's your choice to do that, but there are repercussions, you know? But yeah. they're in, they're reinforcing bad behavior. They're basically, they're validating it and saying, yeah, next time we uh, you wanna get your way, just threaten to walk out and we'll bend again, you know?
1: You don't, you don't negotiate with terrorists
0: exactly you don't negotiate with terrorists or sjw's ever
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: okay so that's what kind of why this is topical lately because uh they censored the goat and uh there are people i saw some so some social justice people on twitter who are saying it's not a cancellation he can still go to another venue and it's like it's they literally canceled the show (laughs) like that is a cancellation (laughs) yeah yeah he happens to have a big enough name and a big enough team working for him and the connection he you know he can pull another venue out of a hat for that night easily but they canceled him not Mm -hmm. everyone's in that same position if they get canceled to just find another venue that same night you know like they, they don't try they try and um um Equivocate around definitions of words, and well, what is the definition of cancellation? Well, I'm pretty sure if they cancel a show, that's you can call that a cancellation.
1: <laughs> well, I was reading before uh, our show that apparently there's a petition for some theater in uh, is it Santa Monica or somewhere in California that's got you know a few hundred people that have signed it uh, to trying to get this particular theater to uh, not allow Chappelle to host there. So. Wow, I I think again this is a victory they see in their eyes, so they they know they can you know get their way if enough people complain. So I don't see this dying down anytime soon.
0: Wow, um, okay, let's go through. The, of course, by the way, of course that's happening in California. Yeah. I'm still in some of the the comedy groups, like the comedy business groups on Facebook, and they've all gone completely woke. So, so weird to me. Not surprising at all. Um, so I've got an article. Maybe we can start with this one. Um, this Pop Matters one. Did you look at any of the ones? You didn't,
1: right? No, I didn't get a chance to look at it.
0: Okay. So this one's great because it covers some of the history of comedians being arrested, um, having fines levied against them, and... I want to pull it up for that reason, but it's also interesting because it's sort of after it details all of these cases, then it's like, suck it up. It's sort of like, suck it up, comedians who are complaining you're being censored. At least you're not being arrested yet. It's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Again, sort of equivocating on definitions, right? They're like, is it really cancellation if you didn't go to jail yet? You know, by the way, some comedians have gone to jail. Mm -hmm. So Okay, let me share this one. This is the Pop Matters one. Sorry guys, that's not the right one. There you go. Can you see that? Yep. Okay, I'll make it just a little bit bigger. Okay, so this is a Pop Matters article. It says, Can I Say That? That's the headline. Stand-up comedy in the age of political correctness. Now here's the sub-headline. This tells you everything you need to know about the position that the writer is going to end up taking. For all the alarmist propaganda about political correctness in the U.S., insensitive speech is still protected by the First Amendment. The complaints about political correctness are BS. So that tells you right there um yeah so they highlight some of the things that we're going to see and in, in many of the articles that talk about political correctness in comedy or about censorship and comedy have been highlighting the statements made by Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock in the past few years Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock have both stated separately that they don't play colleges anymore and they started saying this in 2015 when all the woke stuff really started permeating Um, You know, leaving the college campuses and hitting the mainstream, 2015, 2016, and I don't know if you remember this, Chris, but Jerry Seinfeld—they piled on him, you know, for saying this—that that 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 he didn't want to perform at college campuses because they called everything racist. I'll just read some of those quotes here. Um, For most stand-up comedians, the um, the, culprit—I'm starting in the middle—so the culprit is political correctness. As Jerry Seinfeld states in an interview with talk show host Seth Meyers, quote, there's a creepy PC thing out there that really bothers me. Seinfeld cites an example of a recent joke he made in which he utters the phrase gay French king. And he explains that audience members expressed outrage over his use of the word gay. Some commenters point out Seinfeld's privileged status as a Caucasian heterosexual male. I like the way the writer uses Caucasian heterosexual to sound extra smart instead of straight white. (laughs) And suggests that he wouldn't express this belief if he were a minority comedian. These responses fail to account for the many minority comedians who have also pushed back against political correctness. African American, there it is again, African American instead of black. This guy must be white.
1: Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) African, I'm sorry, this guy must be Caucasian.
1: Nah.
0: African-American comic Chris Rock, for instance, shares Seinfeld's view and blames politically correct college students for, quote, their social views and their willingness to not offend anybody, end quote. Lisa Lampanelli, a controversial female comic, takes it a step further and asserts that political correctness, quotes, quote, sounds a lot like prejudice, end quote. Scott Capuro, an openly gay comic, contests that, quote, most people have no sense of humor, end quote. According to these stand-up comedians and many others, Americans have become too sensitive, and as a result, boundary-pushing humor is under the, under threat. This is not strictly an American issue either. Canadian comic Russell Peters and British comic John Cleese also challenge political correctness. And you know who else, is, this isn't in the piece here, but you know who else challenges, challenged it? Was George Carlin. I have a couple of uh, videos pulled up we're going to watch with George Carlin, John Cleese, Ricky Gervais, all talking about the threat of political correctness and how it kills comedy. So this guy goes on and I'm just going to scroll down because, um, here's where he starts to make excuses and say that there's really nothing going on here. He says, uh, he says as one who loves art, I can see that political correctness has weakened the cultural sophistication of the nation, but the question must be asked who is under threat by whom? The First Amendment in the U.S. protects citizens from government persecution. It promises stand-up comedians that they can express themselves without fear of imprisonment or another form of government-sanctioned punishment. However, the First Amendment does not demand that other citizens in society must automatically support a comics act. Rather, the First Amendment makes room for dissent, disagreement, and disapproval, however misguided and misinformed such reactions may be. The obvious clarification is necessary to make. It's baffling that stand up comedians believe that their speech is currently under threat in the US, when in reality, there hasn't been one comic in the still young 21st century who's been persecuted by the US government for speech. Um, so then let's look through some of the examples. I don't know if you're familiar with all these. So in 2016, see if I can find this. Actually, no, let's start further back. Let's start in 1964. <laughs> <with> Lenny yeah. <laughs> um, he does mention, at least somewhere in here, he mentions Lenny Bruce and George Carlin. And so Lenny Bruce, many know, was one of the first comedians to be censored. And yes, it was by the government. Um, in 1964, he was arrested for obscenity for breaking obscenity laws for using a curse word during his stand-up act. And he famously got four months of, um, I think he was in a, a, it wasn't a jail. It was like a a workhouse or something for four months. And, you know, there's this famous photo that we used in the artwork of him um, being booked in after, after that show. Um, Do you, do you know about this, right?
1: Only a little bit.
0: Okay. I can't find that piece here in the article. If you see it, tell me when to stop. Um, but I know this guy covered it a little bit. Anyway, so first there was Lenny Bruce in 1964. Then there was George Carlin in 1972. I don't know how many people um, remember this. A lot of people remember or have seen. I wasn't alive quite yet, but a lot of people have seen his uh, seven words that you can't say on TV monologue. You know what? You know which one I'm talking about,
1: right? roll up a little. I thought I saw it in yellow. It was a highlight in yellow? In yellow, first, Carlin. Yeah.
0: Oh, it it I, says I, it's I'm it says sorry. he's going to mention it down below. Gotcha. So I think it's down here somewhere. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, George Carlin. So George Carlin in 1972 was also arrested. He was arrested in Milwaukee for obscenity for doing the seven words that you can never say on TV. So kind of following in the footsteps of Lenny Bruce. Um, and then there are some examples that are given in this piece of comedians in other countries. And so that's what this author is trying to say is like, look, it's not as bad as it is in other places. And so the first example he gives is from 2013. This was a comedian named Yusuf, who um, is from Egypt. So Yusuf, a popular satirist in Egypt, was arrested in 2013 for jokes about former President Mohammed Morsi and the Islamic faith. After his arrest, which Yusuf bravely mocked on Twitter, he received international support from important public figures, including American satirist John Stewart. Yusuf avoided prison time, but his arrest was unconscionable to begin with, and it shows the fragility of free expression throughout the world. Um, then there's this other comedian in Burma, this guy named Sar- Zarganar, and he says, Zargonar hasn't been as lucky as Yusuf. The Burmese dissident comic is notorious in his country for mocking Myanmar's military junta. And on the 4th of June 2008, he was arrested for publicly criticizing the military's response to Cyclone Nargis, a disaster, a natural disaster that killed over 130,000 people. Um, he was charged with, quote, inducing public offense. And he was initially sentenced to 59 years in prison.
1: Ooh. That's offensive. I don't know.
0: Jeez. For making fun of the military's response to a national disaster. Um, so it says in 2011, he was released uh, as part of a, a prisoner amnesty, but many human rights activists argue that the damage had already been done. Well, yeah, he served like three years in jail. So <laughs> they could say some damage had been done. Yeah. Then there's this, this comedian in France. This is, and I'll stop after this third one. This guy in France, um, I'm not even going to try to say this French name. He was arrested for commenting on the Charlie Hebdo attacks in a now deleted Facebook post. He quipped, you know that tonight, as far as I'm concerned, I feel like Charlie Kub- Kubeli. I don't even know. That must be a French joke. If you're French and in the audience, tell us what that means. <laughs> How would they tell us. For those who don't know, Koulibaly took hostages of French Jews in a, a kosher supermarket the day after the Hebdo attack. Um So, for this crime of making a joke about this, it says he was charged under Article 421.25 of the French Criminal Code, which is a new law that criminalizes the use of social media to, quote, directly promote acts of terrorism. Yeah. So, by doing a joke about a terrorist, he's somehow directly promoting terrorism. Um, Logical. yeah, that's the world we live in now. He was given a two-month suspended sentence. Um, and then he doesn't he doesn't cover it in this piece. I'm going to stop sharing this because, honestly, if, if I read the end, it's going to make me upset again. Because at the end, he's mm. like, look, it's not as bad as it is in other countries.
1: <laughs> that's what he says. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but you know what he doesn't cover? There's two important cases that he didn't cover that I was thinking he was going to talk about. One was in 2016, the comedian Mike Ward in Canada, who was fined for a joke. Do you remember this one?
1: A vaguely. Fresh memory. Okay.
0: Um, let me pull this one up.
1: don't know, no, Canada had stand-up comedians. It's <laughs>
0: what? Are you kidding? <laughs> no,
1: no, no. Yes. <laughs>
0: Um, and then there's also Count Dankula. Actually, I'm going to pull that one up first. You know the Count Dankula one, right? Yeah, of course. Okay. So That's Count
1: one with his dog, right? Is that the first thing? Yes. times. The, girl... <laughs> Many the time girlfriend's
0: time. dog. Yeah. Um, this is the one about Count Dankula. So Count Dankula in Scotland and the headline is nazi pogman's hate crime supreme court appeal ruled without merit so he tried to appeal the conviction um, for anyone who doesn't know count dankilla is a really popular youtube commentator and he is also a comedian and he did this really funny video you can still it's been scrubbed in a lot of places but you can still find it if you're if you're um, willing to put the work in <laughs> it's a silly video it's a video where he says, you know, my dog my my girlfriend is out of town and I thought it would be really funny to turn her cute little dog into the worst thing imaginable a Nazi. And so he taught the dog how to do like a Nazi salute. <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly. It's so silly. <laughs> and the butt of the joke is Hitler. The butt of the joke is Nazis. Like it's not, you know, It's not making fun of of anyone other than bad people the joke is that you're turning this cute pet into something awful he says into the worst thing i could imagine um he was actually fined i think it was 800 pounds for this and it was a considered a hate crime conviction um this again was in the uk yeah 800 pounds and he, I think he's been, the, the last article I saw about it was that his appeal had been rejected in 2019, um, trying to fight that conviction just on principle, you know. And he said he wasn't going to pay the fines.
1: That's um, crazy. It's so absurd. It's like the, the video itself. Because I remember he edited music. And actually, I think it was music from, like, Kill Bill. And it was clearly, joke, It's clearly being over the top ridiculous. But the context doesn't matter. They just okay. want to. Crucify this guy, make an example of him so they can claim that, you know, there's a rise and far right, blah, blah, blah. And use that as a pretext to crack down.
0: Yeah, there's no it's like there's no room for nuance or laughter or anything anymore. If you're what you're doing by, by stuff like this is that you're making people, you're making creative people afraid. You know, mm-hmm. you're inspiring fear in them. You're making examples of people like Count Dankula. So you're killing, you're necessarily killing creativity when you do this.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it, he wasn't even making fun of a person. He he was just doing oh. like a little goofy dog doing a little Roman Nazi salute thing. And so with a lot of the temp censorship, like we're going to cover, you know, in a little bit, a lot of times, people were criticizing people for making certain statements about a certain group, similar to like what Chappelle, you know, jokes he made, you know, about you know trans and and stuff like that. And so, with with that, I think it's to me always been clear when a comedian was poking fun at a particular group versus when they're being mean spirited, like when they're actually being racist. And I think people in the past used to be. A lot better at telling that and actually I think people still are but I don't think a lot of people the people who are the canceling type don't care it, mm. it's simply just about the power and they don't really care about the actual content of what was said and so, yeah. it's just a, a exercise of, of weak uh, ineffectual people who are gravitating to the internet and using this this group association to to destroy other people's lives and which also brings me to a question I want to ask you too. Um, how, how exactly would you, in your words, define cancel culture? Because I see a lot of people who criticize those of us who criticize cancel culture and say, "Hey, if, if you ever boycotted a, a company, have you know oh. that's that's the same as cancel culture." Hmm? So how, how yeah. would you say it? Because I think people keep trying to to expand the definition of what it is so that it's somehow okay.
0: Uh, it's a great question, and I've thought about it a lot. And the best I can do is say that when you decide that you don't want to give a business or a comedian your your money uh, or your attention, that that's what they call voting with your feet, like using your feet to walk on out of there. I'm not coming to your show, Dave Chappelle. You know, I'm not giving you voting with your dollar. I'm not giving you my money, Dave Chappelle. That kind of thing. That's not cancel culture. That is you choosing not to engage in a transaction with someone who you don't support for whatever reason. It could be a moral reason. It could be, uh, you know, you could find the, the, their their business practices, practices or their comedy or whatever offensive. Um, and I have no problem with that. I don't think anybody has a problem with that, do they? It's like, you know, if you don't like something, you shouldn't be forced to participate in it. That's no problem voting with your feet what the woke try to do what cancel culture is about is more about it's not just voting with your feet they try and cut your feet off like like they will they try and take your feet so you can't go it's not just that they it's not enough for them these people who protested Chappelle, by the way there were protesters out at the the second venue that he moved to at the varsity theater there were crazy ass uh trans rights activist protesters Who showed up to protest Dave Chappelle? Um, The thing about the people who try to get people like Chappelle canceled is that it's not enough for them to say, I don't like what he's saying, or I don't agree, or I find it immoral, or I find it offensive, or racist, or transphobic, or whatever. I'm not going to go. It's not enough for them to do that. They have to try and make sure you can't go either. That's cancel culture. They have to try and put you out of business. If you don't comply with what they think is right Um, in the knitting world, which there's a lot of knitters here in the chat tonight, they know this very intimately now because they saw it unfold the past two years in the knitting world on Instagram, where the social justice cultists would form these mobs and go after people. If they had a small business, if they were a, a yarn dyer or if they were a pattern maker, if they had a small shop, it wasn't enough not to buy their yarn. They had to try and, you know, uh, defame them publicly, destroy their reputation with lies and slander, um, get them banned from knitting events, try and ruin their business entirely so that nobody else could support them. That's cancel culture. Is that a good? Does that make sense, or
2: do you have questions? No, that
1: makes perfect sense, and I I agree with that. I, I it is an attempt to really ruin a person's life and really if. The core of it to ki- you know, kind of kill them, basically. Like yeah. if you're cutting off somebody's, you know, f- finances where they get f- you know money in order to afford you know food and to live, if you're cutting, trying to cut that off. Not just get them fired from a particular job, but trying to prevent anybody from ever hiring them. I mean, that's you're trying to kill that person. It's just a, yeah. a roundabout way of doing that.
0: Yeah, and it, and it's dangerous.
1: Yeah. And and that's what I don't understand because I keep seeing uh, a lot of people online say you know it's not about cancel culture it's about accountability culture or or some stupid thing like that which I'm I'm not even entirely sure what that means like who determines any of that but I'm, I I want to ask those people like where where does it stop it's like you know Alex Jones he he got kicked off of YouTube you know I forget what you know month it was it was like four years ago so. And then, like, three days later, he got kicked off of pretty much every other major platform, even ones in which he said nothing on. Like, even, like, you know, PayPal. You know, like, it's one thing if, say, YouTube, Google was actually fair in the way they enforce their terms of service. Like, they were actually going against people equally, and there was no politics that factored into that. Say it it was just a a cross-the-board thing. Like, okay. But what does PayPal or LinkedIn have to do with that? I mean, he didn't say anything, you know, conspiracies or anything, you know, that would offend people on those sites. It's merely that he said something on some other site. And so then they decided to oust them off their platform. And so when we live in an environment in which, you know, there are less and less big corporations to, to choose between, it, comes more and more obvious that this would be a very easy way for people to really cut people out of the economy completely. Because if there if there's like an environment in which there's only like a handful of banks you can choose between, well, if all those banks decide they don't want to yeah. do business with you, well, you're, you're out of luck, aren't you? Especially have, this with this push for digital currency.
0: Have you seen what's happening right now with Eric July and Moms for Liberty I just saw today?
1: I heard a little bit that PayPal tried to take some of Eric July's money or something. Didn't PayPal
0: they... was, uh, I don't know if there's an update as of today, but as of yesterday, I think they were still holding all of that. They were not releasing his funds.
1: That's so crazy. And
0: then today I saw they're doing the same thing to moms for Liberty payment processor. It's fraud. First of all, yeah. because they've advertised their services and you've used those services and you've now collected money. From paying customers using their services, and they are decided it's theft. It's theft and fraud. They're deciding they're going to keep your money. No.
1: Well, that's not like, moral.
0: Uh... PayPal is not meant to be a moral arbiter.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's no different than uh, what happened in Canada with the truckers. And yeah. Stealing the money, people trying to donate to them. So
0: I just wanted to put up a couple of the knitters in the chat. Two sisters in yarn says, Yeah, we are put on blacklist literally.
1: I'm on a lot of black lives, Yeah.
0: Literally. And Therese says uh, the knitting wars are real. Yeah. Yeah. They're still ongoing. <laughs> um, also, there's a super chat. Thank you, sir. Uh, Tatsu Sama says greetings from Switzerland and gives us two blocks of cheese. Thank you so much.
2: <laughs>
0: Swiss cheese. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh did I miss one I did Matt Deckard hello hat guy (laughs) I don't think you can say that I don't think I can say that word gay
1: (laughs) you're very happy it's a term about happiness
0: it's the word that uh, Seinfeld got in trouble for saying so yeah thank you for the super chat Um, so here's the Canadian comedian I was talking about this has been going on for 10 years by the way I'm going to show you an article from 2016 first um, because he's been fighting this for a long time. Th- this is from 2016. And it's advice. A comedian was ordered to pay $42,000 because he insulted a child with a disability.
1: What?
0: Yeah. In a decision that has many comedians up in arms about freedom of speech, a Quebec tri- tribunal has ordered comedian Mike Ward to pay ten th- tens of thousands of dollars for the suffering that he caused one Quebec boy and his mother. So because he made someone a butt of a joke. Then he's supposed to pay um, the person he joked about that much money. French Canadian comedian Mike Ward is planning to fight a decision ordering him to pay tens of thousand of dollars to a child's a child singer with disabilities who was the butt of one of his jokes. So it's a public figure, first of all. I'm disappointed and a little embarrassed to be Canadian. On the world stage, we look like a bunch of buffoons that can't tell the difference between comedy, artistic expression, and real life, Ward told Vice News. We are going to appeal. The ruling was passed down by the Quebec Human tr- Human Rights Tribunal, and it requires Ward to pay $25,000 in moral damages and $10,000... Who
1: do they determine this?
0: You can put a price on it, moral damages. <laughs> You should just call it social justice damage. And $10,000 in punitive damages. Um, Ward has also been ordered to pay $5,000 in moral damages and 2000 in punitive damages to, to uh, this guy's mother. And we don't have to read any more of that. But I, w- I will give you the update here, which is great news. I think I shared this one first accidentally. So you can see what's happened since then that was in 2016 so and last year in 2021 in october a uh, headline this is from the bbc mike ward comedian who mocked young disabled singer wins free speech case that's so this good. is some good news finally a, cani- a canadian comedian who mocked a disabled teenager has won his free speech case in canada's top court in a 5-4 split decision that's really close though <laughs> Uh, the Supreme court ruled that jokes told about the singer who was a child at the time did not amount to discrimination. So they said, I saw separately in a different article that they said his jokes were quote disgraceful, but not discrimination. (laughs) So at least that's some, some good news.
1: Wow. I'm surprised a a piece of good news coming out of Canada. I know
0: I, I would never, I don't see much good news coming out of Canada anymore. (laughs) so um, well that's a brief history of some of the examples of censorship in the states and abroad some of the comedians that come to mind that people have talked about um, if you want I've got a few more pieces pulled up and we can talk about people's opinions on kind of where we're at and what's happening or what do you what did you send me that you want to discuss
1: oh um I'm cool with whatever order, but uh, I've sent you uh, an article and a couple articles and a couple short videos on uh, Andrew Dice Clay. If you remember, Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I sent you some stuff on Sarah Silverman.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's pull up the Andrew Dice Clay first.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Probably want to do the, I say one of the articles. Which article? Probably the. Uh, Tampa Bay Times one says they are laughing. There we go. And this one is actually from 1990. And I also have a news clip from uh, 1990 as well, because I always like to examine things in the the context that they occurred in. Uh, So just going to read a little bit from this uh, it says Saturday Night Live, a television show with a 15 year history of offending people, is suddenly dealing with a cast member, a musical guest who are offended themselves. SNL regular Nora Dunn has announced that she will boycott this week's show because of its guest host. Hold on, this pop up. Sorry, I'm also reading it on my things i can see better uh, boycott because of this uh guest host foul mouth comedian andrew dice clay and has been joined in her protest by singer Sinead o'connor dunn said she finds clay's anti-woman humor degrading and repulsive quote this is not about dirty words Dunn told the associate press this is about the language of rape if you if you took the word in his routine and placed it with Jew, I guarantee you that the person would not be on Saturday Night Live. It's okay to, it's not okay to denigrate Jews and it's not okay to debase Blacks, but apparently they think it's okay to debase women.
0: Hold up. Hold up. Are you telling me that Black people and Jewish people are never the butt of jokes? (laughs) Is that what she's (laughs) saying? Really?
1: It's never okay.
0: Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you.
1: (laughs) I (laughs) just want to read one short little paragraph uh hold on let me go back uh so it goes o'connor said she feels the same way it would be a nonsensical quote it would be so nonsensical of saturday Night live to expect a woman to perform songs about a woman's experience after a monologue by andrew dice clay nbc announced thursday that o'connor who has the number one single nothing compares to you and the top album on the billboard magazine charts will be replaced by the obscure spanish boys
0: <laughs> still obscure yeah
1: yeah, so that's all I want to read with that, but uh, I thought it was interesting um, that Andrew Dice Clay, uh, it, it, it kind of showed us where we were as a culture back then, because I, I watched some of Andrew Dice Clay's um, stand-up recently, because you know it's been years since I've seen any of it, and I didn't think it was very funny, but the whole gag, the whole shtick was like him just being over the top, like offensive and vulgar. That was like the punchline of every joke. And so <laughs> I thought it was funny considering, you know, where we went from Lenny Bruce to, to George Carlin and Richard Pryor. And Richard had Pryor, Andrew, yeah. Pryor, yep. uh, we had Andrew Dice Clay, which created a, uh, a lot of uh, controversy at the time but then things sort of slowed down a little bit. You didn't hear as much controversy coming out, you know, in the comedy world. And, you know, a lot of comedians became more more vulgar and uh, more risque. I remember Anthony Jeselnik would make rape jokes. And that was mm. like for a decade ago. And then suddenly in this last seven years, suddenly there's been a clampdown, particularly people going after other people in minority groups. And it started off, you know, criticizing more like white guys. Uh, if you remember Shane Gillis, mm-hmm. you remember a um, guy who who started Live at hired yeah. and some uh, podcast recording came out that he'd done years before where uh, he was saying some derogatory words about Asians. But he's doing it as part of the joke. It's it was part like of was...
0: a routine, wasn't he? Yeah. He was like saying Asians are yeah. bad drivers or something.
1: Yeah. Or, yeah. And he was saying the C word you know mm. rise of clink and uh he ended up getting thrown off a of saturday Night live before he even premiered on the show but now as we're seeing with chapelle they're attacking even black people <laughs> and even people who are yeah. in these quote-unquote marginalized uh, uh groups it doesn't matter anymore so
0: because it's not really at the end of the day social justice it's not it's not really about race and sex and sexuality right. that's that's the mask that it uses And that's the, it uses those things as a weapon to get people to conform. But, but it's really, it's really just about this ideology of uh, redistributing quote unquote power. And it's really about this sort of messed up kind of Marxism that's based around identity. But they don't, they don't really, they don't follow any of their own rules. I guess I'll put it that way. So they'll tell you their rules are like, you know, you should white people need to shut up and listen to black people and their lived (laughs) experience, et cetera, unless they're Dave Chappelle and they want to talk, they want to do a comedy show that they had booked a long time in advance and sold out, you know, um, then no, don't listen to that black. person. Like they break their own rules because it's not really about race or sex or sexuality. It's about the ideology surrounding those things. So they're not going to like, they're going to treat you well if you push their ideology, and it doesn't matter what race or sex you are, or sexuality. As long as you push the ideology, you're cool. Um, and if you don't push it, you're not cool. And again, doesn't matter about your race or sex in terms of how they're going to treat
1: you. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a, it's a. Like I said earlier, it's an exercise in power. It's just weak, weak people. Um, yeah. If you bring up the first clip. Uh We just—I just want to show a couple of minutes. You don't have to watch the whole thing, but it's the uh, CNN Andrew Dice Clay uh, YouTube clip on YouTube. Okay,
0: yeah, so I'm so. just getting through the ads. Okay, here we go.
1: Stupid ads.
0: Now, is this the news piece that you found?
1: Uh, yeah, this is the news one.
4: Another controversial figure is on our front page. Is he Andrew Clay Silverstein, a nice guy from Brooklyn, or the Man, a concert character who's offended.
0: By the way, is she culturally appropriating an African pattern on her, <laughs> her jacket? And it looks like she's got feathers in her hair. So <laughs>
1: she, she looks like she's got a Nancy uh, well, wardrobe. What is that a?
0: Uh, Nancy Pelosi wardrobe,
1: <laughs> wardrobe. Yeah.
4: Just about everybody. Comedian Andrew Dice Clay says he's both a nice guy who has made it big with bad boy humor. His first film, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, opens Wednesday, and Cherry Sylvester sat down to find out more about the real Andrew Dice Clay.
3: All right, look, sweetheart. You look beautiful. Afterwards, I'll take you, I'll throw a burger down your throat. We'll have a great time.
4: You're truly a man among men. And at 32, Andrew Dice Clay is truly a comic amid controversy. As the dice man, his concert routine has been called sexist, racist, and anti-gay. Nora Dunn and Sinead O'Connor skipped Saturday Night Live rather than perform on the same stage with him. His performance on the MTV Awards got him banned for life when he let loose with some X-rated lingo live. So what is there to like about this guy? Apparently, quite a lot. He sold out Madison Square Garden in New York and The Forum in Los Angeles. His album, The Day the Laughter Died, has also sold more than a quarter of a million copies. The billboards promoting it have been defaced. So it seems the battle lines have been drawn between dice lovers and dice haters while the comic is promoting his first film, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Millie Vanilli paid us off in bicycle shorts and hair extensions. Very scary. Do you
0: want to
1: watch more? uh just a little bit more t- what's uh, what's once yeah, he's gonna talk okay. a, just a bit and then you can cut it off you watch know, much more rock stars going out of my mind dealing with rock stars
4: the, the film is, is intentionally minutes. diced yeah, light in half the, 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 the vulgarity and one third, third is offensive as his stand-up thing. act as a rock and roll detective, he not only boosts the Sam Spade genre, but the Dice Man himself. And in the hot seat of promotion, Andrew Dice Clay is surprisingly self-deprecating, overly polite, somewhat defensive, but mostly confident. Do you think that there are a lot of misconceptions out there about you?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, people have read too much into a stage character, you know, and and they. They just have it all screwed up in their heads, you know, and that's why I can continue because I know what I'm doing. You know, I know all my aim is just to make people laugh and have a good time, whether it's doing that kind of humor or doing a film like Ford Bailey. And it's just to make people laugh. And, And most of them will see that once they see this movie.
4: What is the stardom like for you now? I mean, you spent a lot of time being hungry and working your way up. Did you imagine, did you like fantasize what it would be like when you made it? And is it been, uh, well, I knew never,
3: uh, I didn't know what it would be like? Kevin says he's
2: smoking on TV. Yeah. I mean, it's a
3: complete fantasy life. So,
2: what are
1: your but anyway, that's it. I mean, I don't watch that, but yeah, you, you get the sense that that you know, again. It's such a, it's a shtick that he normally does during his, his shows. And, you know, his seems like he was trying to do what he thought was funny, but also kind of expand the uh, definition of what was allowable content on stage, you know? Yeah. And I think that was a big uh, part of his appeal because I was watching one of his shows and there was a bunch of people uh, in the audience was about 50, 50 male and female, mostly white, but they were all like finishing his jokes. <laughs> like like he wow. started doing his like his routine, little Miss Muffet and do his thing. And they all start like just cheering and going crazy. And I think that was a huge appeal of it because as we talked on the first episode of pop culture, uh, you had that weird time in the late eighties, early nineties, where you had uh, a lot of comedy and particularly music with like rap and a little bit of metal that uh, was trying to be censored uh, by, you know, um, some right leaning people, or in the case of typical, or I guess Democrat, they were trying to, you know, label music. And, uh, we had, you know, instances with two live crew down in Florida, they got arrested, you know, uh, for performing obscene music and things. And that, um, attempt to kind of suppress, uh, this kind of, you know, anti-authority avant-garde type of, you know comedy or or uh, music just supercharged it just made it cooler and people just gravitated to it more because it pissed off a lot of people and it just had a certain energy to it that kind of characterized that time and so i think that was a huge appeal you know to his act but his act didn't really age because it was kind of the same thing it came across kind of like a saturday night live skit you know like in remember the early 90s you know they'd have like say a Rob Schneider skit and we'd be like uh, making copies and it's like firstly yes. you're like uh, that's, that's funny but then you know, by the seventh time you're like can we stop because <laughs> <Like>, that <laughs> really? so, like, just got really old and it just the, the culture just kind of accepted you know that type of speech for a while at least it did and so it wasn't unique anymore um,
0: he was definitely like he's of his time period I never liked him Obviously I wouldn't, I come from the woke world, but even now the little bits I've seen since I left that belief system, I still, he just doesn't, he doesn't tickle my particular funny bone. He, But, I, but like we're talking about the, the, the theme of the show about censorship, just because I don't find something funny, like, like somebody in the chat said, I don't find Hannah Gatsby funny, but I'm not trying to cancel her exactly. You know i'm not going to show up i'm not going to call the theater and be like you have to cancel this person Mm -hmm. because i don't like them because they don't make me laugh or i think they're they're offensive yeah there we go alan scott i can't stand henna gatsby but i don't want to cancel her um quick uh, question from the chat great question looney news says so how do we fight the censorship we fight the censorship by supporting those who are brave enough to um, put themselves out there and flout the rules, you know, the, the, the made up rules from the woke scolds. So people like Dave Chappelle, it's like, go support him when he comes to your town, if you like him, if you like what he's doing, if you find him funny. I know a lot of people do. I do. Um, Rob Schneider. Alan Scott says Rob Schneider is based. Yeah, support people like Rob Schneider. And then there was another, I saw this go by. Tweet Girl says we must protect Alex Stein 99 at all costs. Yes. (laughs) Alex Stein is doing some of the most original, innovative comedy right now, in my opinion. Um, If you haven't seen it, I was lucky enough to get to interview him. You can find it on this channel. Um, I got to go to a few protests with him and see him do his thing. And he's just... Amazing. He's joyful. He's funny. He does this kind of comedy that's interacting with people in real life and kind of trolling them like a real life troll because of the city council meetings. Um, Yeah. Support people like Alex sign and people who are doing the comedy that you do like. So that's my answer. Um, Okay. What else did you have?
1: Um, I had, uh, let's see. I did have a, Brief clip mm-hmm. of uh, Andrew Dice Clay, the last clip I had of him on Arsenio. Uh, do you remember that time where he started to break down?
0: No. You like,
1: see that? Okay.
0: You mean cry?
1: Almost cry, but like his voice starts to shake. And and there's been debate over the years if some people think it was part of the act, some people think it's real. But uh, if it is real, then it, it, the, the pressure was. Getting to him a little bit. What? Okay. Um, If you skip ahead to the part where he stands up, yeah. Yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, right. Yeah.
3: You know, I get it. Well, you want to know who he is? I'll tell you. (laughs) Andrew Clay. No, let me get this straight. And, And everybody watching and everybody in the studio should hear it. Andrew Clay is a guy that came out here about 10 years ago. And he broke his ass. Know what I mean? Broke his ass. He believed in himself. Became the hottest comic in the world. And anybody that doesn't like it could wipe their ass with whatever they say about me. Let me say this because I always believe that you could take yourself and put yourself. Wow. No, I get choked up because uh. I think that's you real. put yourself where you want to be, and uh. What? No, Emma. <laughs> Put yourself where you want to be, and I broke my ass for 12 years. And tomorrow, when that movie opens, the country's going to see it, and they're going to laugh their asses off. And that's what it's about. So believe in yourself, all right? I, I, you
1: wanna yeah,
3: be, I. You want to be a doctor, okay. do
1: you want to be a. But anyway, yeah, I, I think it's real because, again, we're watching the interview like we watched uh, at the CNN portion. Yeah, he's not like abrasive. He's just kind of just very calm, normal kind of guy. And he was doing what he thought was funny. But when he's being called, you know, every racism and this and everything, I think, you know, he's probably sensitive about that. Couldn't take that amount of criticism. And it was getting to him that people like legitimately thought he was like this horrible person when in his mind he was just doing what he thought was funny. Not that, you know, he truly meant any ill intent, I don't believe, but he was just again doing what you know he thought would get laughs.
0: That seemed real to me, I had not seen that before. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. other people here were saying, um, that it seems real to them as well. So, yeah, Kevin says, I've got to get a better avatar if Carrie's going to put my posts up. <laughs> I like it, it's a dinosaur, it's good. Um, that's so interesting. I, I mean, I kind of like Andrew Dice Clay there, based in that clip, I'm like <laughs> you know, seems genuine and. I like that. You get to see a little bit of the real him behind that facade, that ca- sort of character that he does on stage, you know? Yeah. Um, I have a couple of clips we can watch. And then mm. I have a couple of articles as well. There's one, let me see if it's worth it to go through this one. Um, This one also includes the, the Tosh thing. Yeah. Let me just put this one up real quick and then we can look at some of my clips too.
1: Um, Is this Daniel Tosh? Yes. Mm. Yeah, he so did the, get in trouble a while back or something. I can't remember what it was. That.
0: Yeah. Um this is an article from Odyssey, the Odyssey Online called How Far is Too Far? And the some headline, Jerry Seinfeld and other comedians have stepped away from college campuses. We already kind of covered that in another piece. And it it highlights here at the top, you know, what we already talked about. Jerry Seinfeld has put his two cents in on the matter of censoring comedy. He, along with fellow comedians, Chris Rock, Larry the Cable Guy, and the late, great George Carlin, have called college campuses, quote, too politically correct and advise against performing at them. Quote, college students just want to use these words. That's racist. That's sexist. That's prejudice. They don't know what the F they're talking about, said Seinfeld in an interview on Colin Coward's radio show, The Herd. Stand-up is not new to controversy. In the 1970s, Richard Pryor became a lightning rod for controversy. At the time, Pryor was being called controversial for, among a myriad of other things, using profanity and finding humor mocking white people the same way he did with black people. A black comedian crossing their own racial boundary and crafting jokes that insulted white members of the audience was new and cause for alarm, though many supported Pryor and called him the comedian of the generation. He was nominated for a Grammy for Best Comedy Recording Album every year from 1975 to 1983, winning five of the nine. Others called for censorship of Pryor's comedy, negatively contrasting Pryor's act to the clean and safe comedy of Pryor's biggest artistic influence, legend Bill Cosby. This is a great example of uh, just because somebody puts on an appearance. (laughs) You know what I mean? Knowing everything you know, would you rather hang out with foul-mouthed Prior or um clean and safe Cosby'
1: <laughs> He'll be set on fire while doing okay <laughs> but, but it, it it the Bill Cosby thing reminds me of Will Smith too, like someone mm. that had a clean image and you thought this person you know had it together and that he was a good family man, and then his family was tight and good family, and then you come out, you know that he's likes to slap people who talk about his wife and his wife's cheating on him and He's still staying by her side it's just it's like you said it, it's really surprising people who have that that image and turn out to be the exact opposite.
0: yeah um, while the very funny Cosby found clean humor in the domestic lives of black America, Pryor found his sources in darker areas touching on taboo topics that affected all races from the perspective of a black man in America Here let me make this a little larger um. What is this ad? Go away. (laughs) (laughs) Controversy in stand-up long predates Pryor. A major influence on both Cosby and Pryor's comedy was uh, convicted of obscenity in 1964. Here's more about Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce was a comedian who pushed the boundaries of what can be said to a private audience. Because Bruce pushed the envelope of what can be said, the performances used as evidence to convict him of obscenity, including a bit about urinating in a sink, seemed tame. By modern standards, under the First Amendment, New York posthumously pardoned Lenny Bruce 39 years after his conviction. Here's the Tosh stuff. We should should talk about this because this was big at the time. In 2012, comedian Daniel Tosh made a joke about rape. He quickly apologized for his comments after an account of the performance told from the perspective of the woman who was the target of the joke went viral on Tumblr. The events of the night are unclear. The anonymous audience member claims that she left right after Tosh targeted a joke at her for heckling his set, while the owner of the comedy club claims the victim and her friends stayed the remainder of the show and accepted free tickets for a future show. However, what is clear is the meticulously documented reactions of public figures. What is clear is the outpouring of voices on both sides of the argument, quote, are there untouchable topics? So this happened right when... I was in New York. We had just sold a show starring one of my comedy clients, W. Kamel Bell. Um, It was called um, "United Shades of America." No, that's the one that came after on CNN. Uh, I can't even think. Totally biased. (laughs) It was called "Totally Biased." Well, it is late. It was on FX. Then it was on FXX, and it was kind of it was new in my opinion, it was new in that it was an explicitly social justice late night comedy show. So there, the the comedy shows, the late night shows had always been leftist or or left leaning, but they had never been overtly woke. And this show was overtly woke. And uh, I was a big, I was a true believer at the time. I thought we were changing the world with comedy. I thought, you know, we're using comedy to educate people about isms and oppression and the, the, you know, intersectionality and, and a lot of some of my other comedy clients who were also woke were on the writing stuff. And um, we did a whole segment on this rape joke controversy and we're basically coming out of it with the opinion that, that he was in the wrong for somehow making these jokes. I have a different opinion about this. Now, if you go back and read that original Tumblr blog from the woman that, that had the complaint against him that went viral she was clearly a social justice warrior in the true sense of the term. She's someone who would be proud, probably to be under the label of activist. I hate that label. I hate that label. Why are you an act? Go home and live your life. Like, what do you, <laughs> I don't like that term. I don't like people that describe themselves as that. I don't care what their activism is. I don't, I don't like it. Like, why are you out here telling everybody else how to live, just live? Why don't you just be an example in your life with how you behave? You don't have to go out into the world with signs, you know, and and, and try to convert people. And um, she's definitely that type of person. She, by her own account, stood up and heckled him while he was on stage. I hate hecklers. I hate hecklers. It is so disrespectful. Uh, someone's up there that this is, this is their workplace. You know, I know we've all heard the retort, the famous retort that a lot of comedians do, which is, hey, I don't come to your job and slap the dick out of your mouth. Excuse me, Carrie. said a word. (laughs) I don't come to your job and do to you. (laughs) So, you know, that's the best comeback, I think, from the stage um, to someone heckling you. But that's really what you're doing. You're interrupting their work. If you don't like their jokes, and I've been in many an audience where I didn't like the jokes, you either don't laugh, you don't applaud, or you get up and leave. Vote with your feet but to stand up and interrupt what I'm doing and try to interrupt the enjoyment of everybody else, inserting yourself into it. There's nothing I appreciate watching more than a really well-crafted, hilarious smackdown of a heckler. And he tried to smack her down because she was heckling him and interrupting. And he made some joke, I can't remember what it was, but it was basically about how, it was probably something along the lines of she was too ugly to be raped, something like that. And is that offensive? Yes. Is that insulting? Yes. Did you deserve that because you interrupted his work? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I thought you were the people that believed in consequence culture, right? You're going to stand up in the middle of a comedy show and heckle a professional comedian and think that you're not going to get slapped down? That's the consequence.
1: Do you you remember that time when uh, Kramer, Michael Richards from Seinfeld, got heckled at the comedy club when he was on stage? Yes. And then he just totally lost his mind. He just starts repeating the N word over and over and over. Yes. Again. <laughs> uh, the best part of that was that he, when he went on uh, David Letterman's show, like a couple of nights later. Like uh, Jerry Seinfeld was on the show, and he brought him on. And so they bring him out, and the audience is like, not sure if this is like serious or or joking. So they're like kind of laughing, and he he starts off with saying. I want to apologize to uh, all the Afro Americans, and everyone's just like burst out laughing. And Jerry Seinfeld goes, "Stop it! This is not funny." (laughs) It was so awkward, so cringy, and I loved every second of it. Oh, was uh, such a gift! I loved it. Um. Oh
0: my. Okay. I do want to read just a little bit more of this because it gets really cringy speaking of cringe in this odyssey piece. So he just talked about, you know, how the mob came for Daniel Tosh. So then he says, if you're going to follow up with any link in this article, read comedian Pat Oswalt's brilliant take in this in his Uh, post uh, on his website titled a closed letter to myself about thievery, heckling and rape jokes. Now, first of all, Pat Oswalt used to be one of my favorite comedians I I know he's just so funny and he, he didn't used to have any ideology wrapped in his comedy. He would just talk about real life things. You know, he was just an absurdist kind of comedian and I really enjoyed him. Unfortunately, he has fully converted to the cult of social justice. And, um, and I know you've seen him throw his friend Chappelle under the bus Mm. and denounce him. Um, because that's how bought he bought in he is to this cult. He also seems to have a bit of Trump derangement syndrome. He's just it's really <laughs> kind of um overtaken his mind. It's like a zombie virus. And uh, he also he blocked me on Twitter.
1: I can't yeah, remember what for, right. but uh yeah, that was that you was quote, unquote, don't say gay bill. Like oh, he was yeah. going off on it. You you like just asked him a question. I think you said, Did you even have read, you read it? the yeah. yeah,
0: he was calling it the don't say gay bill in Florida and I said. Have you read the bill? Can you tell me exactly what part of the bill you have a problem with? Block. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, this article, by the way, that we're reading is from 2015. So this was probably at the beginning of his Pat Oswald's social justice conversion, because listen to what he says here. He says, Oswald walks the fine line of supporting Tosh as a comedian trying new things and lambasting him for making an unfunny joke in poor taste. Oswell initially conflicted with his blind support for all comedy. Concludes, quote: "Think twice about who is the target of the punchline and make sure it isn't the victim." Okay, this is the bullshit thing that social justice people say in in the comedy world, where they say you have to be punching up, you can't punch down. Which, on its face, I actually agree with that. I don't. I don't like. Um, I don't like it when people take swipes at, at like the, the actual punching down, like taking swipes at um, people just out of meanness. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I don't like that. I do like punching up. But, but the problem with social justice people is that they have their up and down confused. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> they have it confused. So they say, well, you can't make a joke about a trans person because that's punching down. No, it's not. Why are you treating trans people like they're down here? They say that white people can't make jokes about black people because they're punching down. No, they're not. Why are you putting white people up here? <laughs> and they say men can't make jokes about women because they're punching down. No, you're not. Women are not down here, dummy. We're up here with you. You can make fun of us. That's how you treat us equally. Um, punching oh. up is actually if you were to if they were to really punch up, they would punch at wokeness. They would punch at this cult. This this belief system that tells them that they have to censor what they say, they would punch back at that, like Chappelle does. That's punching up. They have their directions confused entirely.
1: <laughs> what because they're just confused about everything. Yeah. In their own gender.
0: Thanks. That was a bit of a a rant, but I have I just, you know, having come from working in comedy, it just I've thought a lot about it and I really just I hate that because it's not a bad saying if, but you got to know what you have to define what punching up means and what punching down means. And so he does this lazy social justice thing where he says, Oswald succinctly describes where the line is between comedy and hatred. If the punchline relies on an audience's prejudice and hatred of the subject, then it's not comedy. When the punchline relies on an audience's understanding of a situation where they can empathize with the subject, whether it be Lenny Bruce peeing in a sink, Richard Pryor mocking the affluent white life, or any other subject once deemed untouchable by the courts of law and public opinion. That is, Oswald would argue, art. Um, So they go on to talk about Louis C.K. a little bit and a a few others, but then he basically concludes with the same opinion as that previous article, which is sort of like, um, at the end of the day, he's like, all these comedians complaining about political correctness and censorship just need to get over it, right? Like they're just upset because we don't we don't let them punch down anymore. That's what he's kind of saying.
1: Interesting. That reminds me of a certain quote um, in an article. If Okay, bring up this article because I want to piggyback on all of what you just said. This might be surprising. So, if you can look at the article that uh, the Forbes article. Okay. This is a very interesting article.
0: Is this a woke article?
1: It's in defense of, yeah, kind of woke. Yeah, well, kind (laughs) of. (laughs) Yes. Kind of. But it's basically saying how uh, trying to claim Carlin, George Carlin, and uh, Eddie Murphy as on the side of anti, anti, mesh W.
0: Oh, stuff. this couldn't but, be more wrong. <laughs>
1: uh, hey, uh, hold on. Okay. There, there is a quote by Carlin in here that I want to read. Uh, so it's right underneath the tweet that there's a screen cap of a, a tweet, embedded tweet, I think, in there. So uh, if you scroll down there. So It says, in this clip, Carlin criticizes fellow stand-up Andrew Dice Clay for his bits that punch down. Quote, comedy has traditionally picked on people in power, people who abuse their power, he says. Uh, Women and gays and immigrants, to my way of thinking, are underdogs. I think Clay's core audience is young white males who are threatened by these groups, he continues. I think a lot of these guys aren't sure of their manhood. I think that's often a problem when you're going through adolescence. And the women who assert themselves and they are competent are a threat to these men. And so are immigrants in terms of jobs. I think that's what is at the core of the experience that takes place in those arenas, a sharing of anger or rage at these targets.
0: Okay. So interesting because this was, when was this in the nineties? Well, it was in 2019, but this quote from him would have been probably in the nineties.
1: Yeah. yeah, Early nineties. Yeah.
0: Right. It was a different time. That's part of my complaint about the woke people now is they want to pretend like we haven't made any progress. Not, not just since the nineties, they want to pretend like we haven't made any progress since the fifties. You know, they Mm want to pretend like we're going back in time or something. And I will agree with him on this. At the time that Andrew Dice Clay was doing those jokes about women Yes, women were the traditional, in some ways, a traditional punching bag. Of course, at that time, culturally, yes, um, and that's part of the reason I don't find that comedy very funny. Because at the time, I thought it was just unimaginative and boring. But but culture changes, times change, and do you know what's do you know what's boring and unimaginative now? Another joke about white men. another joke about Trump voters, like that's what's boring, that's what's lazy now.
1: Well, and I think what stands out to a lot of people like us, um, and this is a point that I meant to bring up last week, uh, where we're talking about the influence of communism on Hollywood and how in the 70s, 80s, a little bit of 90s, there were a lot of movies and TV shows that had narratives. About you know black people being the victims of racism, or gay people being victims of straight people, and women being the victims of men, and there wasn't—I would say—overall not as much as there is uh, today. But I think back then, there in general in, in the culture, there was a lot more of you know incidences that were racist, like white person being racist toward black person, or you know straight to to, to gay or whatever. Sure, and I think. Those narratives tended to not bother people because people could observe that, yeah, there's still some, you know, racism and some things, you know, uh, affecting "quote unquote" marginal. I hate that word, marginalized people back then. But compare it today, where it's nonstop uh, narratives about victimization and how many of us can see, we can observe with our, you know, real lives that there's not as much racism or sexism you know, or homophobia as implied by the movies. And that's something that turns a lot of us off because we see this disconnect with these stories, even if the stories they're telling are true. Like, you know, there's a there's story coming out, uh, just watch a trailer today on uh, Emmett Till, just horrible, horrible story, horrible incident. And that's something that, yes, that's history. We, we do need to talk about it, but in the context of all these movies coming out that just feature, you know, black people being the victims of white people, I can I know for a fact that there's not that much, you know, violence happening from white to black. There's actually more violence happening from black to white. You can look up the FBI statistics.
0: Statistically, more white yeah. People
1: are- by black people, then you know, black people murdered by white people, and more black people murder <laughs> uh, other black people than white people murder uh, us too. So it, it doesn't jive with that, and it's very jarring. And so I think that's similar with, with with you know a lot of the the comedy. A lot of us know that we have achieved a great. Hold on
0: off. a second. Your audio is doing that An thing it does. <laughs>
1: An hour and a half mark. I don't know why.
0: Yeah, that. that's so weird. We got to figure out what's going on. Uh, you want to leave and come back? It's, yeah. I can't hear you. Okay. All right. Bye. Put it. We'll put a pin in it. I hate that expression, but I'll use it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't just me. and the thank you guys for letting me know. Um, so we'll wait for him to come back. I while he's doing that, I'm going to queue up one other relevant article, and then we can get to the funny clips. I know we're putting off the funny clips to the end, but, um, Oh, here he is. Hello, is sir. Is that better? Yes.
1: All right. Yeah. I think it's like it's, there's a
0: time limit.
1: I know. Yeah. We don't have so much time. I'm kind of in prison right now. Maybe that's it, but yeah. So I was saying, like with comedy, I think a lot of people can observe that there is much more equality today and that we have acceptance of, you know, quote-unquote gay culture that's mainstream culture at this point
0: it is mainstream (laughs) yes
1: saying like why can't we make fun of gay people or you know any of these quote-unquote marginalized people when we they have equality like isn't that i mean if they have society you know quality in society why can't we make jokes you know at at their expense not trying to be mean but just poking fun because poke fun at everybody that's just
0: that's just the that's the that's to, as a woman, if you if a man says like you're off limits to make fun of because you're a woman, it's sort of that is so insulting and condescending. That's what's that's you treating me like I'm lower than you.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you know what I mean? That's not yeah. equality. Don't don't condescend to me that way. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and similarly, that like in conversation, sometimes this comes up with social justice people. I think, I don't know if I ever told you about this. There was the time before I left my old career working in um, the business side of comedy, my partner and I, we had our own management company. I managed comics. She managed musicians. We had, there was some guy that we had hired. uh, I can't remember now if he was doing a website or something for us, something tech related. We asked him to explain it to us. And afterwards, He said something. He apologized and said, "I'm sorry." Was that mansplaining? (laughs) Insincerity. He meant that, and it's it's no, that's not (laughs) mansplaining. Don't treat me like I'm (laughs) beneath you. I asked you to explain something to me. Why are you now treating me like some delicate creature who can't hear something explained because I'm a woman? You know, it's it's so offensive. Anyway, (laughs) that's what's truly offensive. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's what that frustrates me when you know a lot of these, you know, Websters are holding black people to a lower standard that they hold other white people to. I'm like, that's not you don't respect me. <laughs> I mean, you're treating me like I'm mentally handicapped child child that constantly needs, you know, your help and assistance. So, I mean, cause that's what you do. If you, you, you yeah. think someone is, you know, not capable of a certain, you know, thing, you, you don't hold it to the same standards that you hold somebody who, who can do that thing. So it's, yeah,
0: it's infantilizing. It's mm-hmm. turning you into a child. Yeah. It's gross. Okay. So I've got one last boring article and then we get to the funny <laughs> videos. It's not really that boring. This is just an interesting note. I don't know if you guys saw this. This is a few years ago, 2017 right at the height of all these um, articles and stuff about, about stand-up comedians being censored or, or famous stand-up comics saying they're not going to play colleges anymore because they're so censorious. This was a, a big story about... Uh, anyway, this is from the Ch- Chicago Tribune. The headline is, Lenny Bruce is back, but Brandeis University doesn't want him. And this was a story about a play about Lenny Bruce that got protested and I believe canceled... By the woke students there, which I just think is hilarious and tells you everything you need to know about woke that we've come full circle now where it used to be Lenny Bruce was rightfully held up by the left as a hero for free speech and bucking norms and now flash forward to the year 2017 and he's being censored. Yet again, after his death, this time by the left. I mean, that just tells you everything mm-hmm. about about what they've become, about what the left has become. Yeah. So,
1: if, yeah. Uh, what was that quote from the Dark Knight? You know, live long enough, you. Which, uh, I'm screwed up. But what was it? The uh, uh, live long enough, you come to like. Damn it, I have to look it if up. Do
0: live long enough, all of you see your heroes die.
1: I used to know it off the top of my head, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: Okay. I've got a couple of great clips we can pull up. Yeah, do that. Why don't we start with a little bit of George Carlin? Now, this is a little blurry, but we can still hear the beginning of it.
1: You either die a hero. You live long enough to see yourself become a a villain. That's what I I just remembered that. It came to me.
0: That is a great quote.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, there it is. Okay. Can you guys see that?
6: Pissed off at me because I said fruit. There's a different group to get pissed off at you in this country for everything you're not supposed to say. Can't say fruit, can't say faggot, can't say queer, can't say Nancy boy, can't say pansy. Can't say nigger boogie jig jigaboo skinhead
1: jungle bunny. Are we gonna get
0: canceled? This is on YouTube. <laughs> hey, <laughs> this
1: guy, that guy said it, so not us.
6: Let's just talk over it. Can't say, now I just want to say the N word
1: over and over again. Dago
6: Guinea, Wap, Ginzo, Greaser, Greaseball, Spick, Beaner, Oye, Tiger, P.R., Mick. Donkey, turkey, turkey. he's getting uh, we're, gonna we're gonna stop it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did you watch this before?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was on YouTube. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> two sisters and some yarn have <laughs> been panicking. Please, I'm so sorry. Oh, mm, that wasn't us. Uh, um, okay. Oh, and we just got hit with a bunch of... Oh, now spectrum. you're attracted no. to the
1: <laughs> It's on
5: YouTube.
1: I don't... They picked it up. They're like, oh, this should be perfect. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wait, I got to block that sport. <laughs> the port's...
5: Wow. Wow.
2: Wait, no, because
0: it's blocked... My mod, what's happening?
2: <laughs>
6: sorry,
1: I'm sorry. Two
0: sisters and some yarn. This what's is why happening? We need
1: censorship.
0: <laughs> Hold on. Can you read a couple of the? Can you read a? Actually, no. Let me put up a. <laughs> this is why we need censorship. <laughs> let me put up a couple. Another video we can watch, and while I do that, I'll try to unban the mod. I was trying to ban. <laughs> I was trying to ban the porn. Um, okay. Uh, sorry. Two sisters. and senior. sorry, Amy
1: clicks on that. I really want to know, like how many people like, or, like spam bots and like, Oh, I'm gonna check out this site. <laughs> okay.
0: Here, let's put, let's play this. Uh-oh. I think this one's safe.
7: Mm. You know, <laughs> droppings. I wrote some things about politically correct language, but I left out a few areas. I neglected three important groups of people who have had this awkward, dishonest language inflicted on them by liberals. I omitted those who are crippled, ugly, or stupid. And so, to address these earlier omissions, I'd like to make a brief return visit to that playground of guilty white liberals, political correctness. Political correctness is America's newest form of intolerance. And it's especially pernicious because it comes disguised as tolerance. It presents itself as fairness, yet attempts to restrict and control people's language with strict codes and rigid rules. I'm not sure that's the way to fight discrimination. I'm not sure silencing people or forcing them to alter their speech is the best method for solving problems that go much deeper than speech. Therefore, those among you who are more politically sensitive than the rest of us may wish to take a moment here to tighten up those sphincter muscles because I'm going to inject a little realism into the dream world of politically correct speech, especially the words we use to describe one another. Perhaps you've noticed that when the politically correct liberal rule makers decide to rename a group of humans they view as victims, they begin by imparting a sense of shame to the group's existing name. Yes. And so somewhere over the years, the word cripple has been discarded. No one mentions cripples anymore. That's because in yet another stunning attempt to stand reality on its head, cripples have been assigned a new designation, the physically challenged. The use of physically challenged is an obvious attempt to make people feel better. The idea being, as long as we can't cure these people, let's give their condition a more positive name and maybe it'll distract everyone. It's verbal sleight of hand. The same is true of the ungainly phrase, differently abled. I believe that if a person is going to insist on using tortured language, such as differently abled, then he should be forced to use it to describe everyone. We're all differently abled. You can do things I can't do. I can do things you can't do. Barry Bonds can't play the cello. Yo-Yo Ma can't hit the curveball. They're differently abled. It should be explained to liberals, patiently, that crippled people don't require some heroic designation. It's a perfectly honorable condition. It appears in the Bible, Jesus healed the cripples. He didn't engage in rehabilitative strategies to improve the conditions of the physically disadvantaged. Can't these liberals hear how unattractive this language is, how poorly it sits on the ear? Personally, I prefer plain descriptive language. For instance, and this is a suggestion that will bother some people, but I'm serious about it. Why don't we just call handicapped people defective? You know, <laughs> no. we don't mind talking about birth defect. We don't flinch from that. We say Gunther has a birth defect. Isn't that a concession to the fact that people can be defective? Then what would be wrong with calling those people the physically defective? At what point in life does a person with a birth defect become a person who is differently abled? why does it happen? I'm confused.
1: And that's what made Carlin and I put Rock and Chappelle in the same category Louis CK, where a lot of the comedy was revealing truths and really identifying a lot of the hypocrisies, you know, that exist in this kind of social etiquettes that were being forced upon us during different eras. And I, I think that's what made them, you know, such, you know, geniuses in terms of the comedy that mm-hmm. they're putting out there because there was there was truth behind a lot of the jokes they were making.
0: Yeah, he um, has another bit where it's exactly what you're talking about. He's revealing truths about the language. Um, and he sort of, it's, it, it would be a good, it, it sort of comes before this part of his book, where he's talking about all the politically correct language. And this might be it here. Let me, try, let me try playing this one club. If this isn't it, I'll tell you a little about it. And I'm sure people are familiar with it. I just wanted to highlight this quote from Jay828. Thanks, Jay. He says, I've been using cripples since I've been crippled. The reactions are amusing. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Um, I'm sure you, you startle people. Okay, here we go. I can't believe that all of that happened a few minutes ago.
1: (laughs) 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 Kind of missed the bots now.
6: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. Let's see if this is the piece.
6: I don't like words that hide the truth. I don't like words that Mm -hmm. conceal reality. I don't like euphemisms or euphemistic language. And American English is loaded with euphemisms because Americans have a lot of trouble dealing with reality. Americans have trouble facing the truth. So they invent a kind of a soft language to protect themselves from it. And it gets worse with every generation. For some reason, it just keeps getting worse. I'll give you an example of that. There's a condition in combat Most people know about it. It's when a fighting person's nervous system has been stressed to its absolute peak and maximum. Can't take any more input. The nervous system has either snapped or is about to snap. In the First World War, that condition was called shell shock. Simple, honest, direct language. Two syllables. Shell shock. Almost sounds like the guns themselves. That was 70 years ago. Then a whole generation went by, and the Second World War came along and we... The very same combat condition was called Battle Fatigue. (laughs) Four syllables now, takes a little longer to say. (laughs) Doesn't seem to hurt as much. Fatigue is a nicer word than shock. Shell shock. Battle fatigue. (laughs) And We had the war in Korea in 1950. Madison Avenue was riding high by that time, and the very same combat condition was called operational exhaustion. (laughs) Hey, we're up to eight syllables now. And the humanity has been squeezed completely out of the phrase, it's totally sterile now. Operational exhaustion sounds like something that might happen to your car. Then, of course, came the war in Vietnam, which has only been over for about 16 or 17 years. And thanks to the lies and deceit surrounding that war, I guess it's no surprise that the very same condition was called post-traumatic stress disorder. Still eight syllables, but we've added a hyphen.
0: (laughs) Uh, He does a lot about that. He does it. it, it, I don't want to... Um, just play his whole bit, and we'll probably get. We're probably already gonna get a strike. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> he he talks about how you know they've they've now said we're gonna call uh, black people people of color, and he's like, I'm not gonna call. He basically is like, you know, that's just another way of saying colored people. What is the mm-hmm. difference? Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Um, I think the word Negro will ever come back into fashion.
0: Some of the comics I was working with were trying to bring it back.
1: Hmm. Okay. I thought it
0: was a pretty funny, you know. Mm-hmm. But of course, I think they probably would have said that you can't say it unless you're <laughs> unless you're black,
1: a certain percentage. What if you're half black? You're half negro.
0: You can only say half of the word.
1: Mm, the sense. row part. The neo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Two
0: sisters and some yarn. Just give it up for this lady. The mod <laughs> says, "I went to get a drink. Am I going to have a heart attack again?"
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh. It was a good time. <laughs> good time. Uh, can I, I? just want to read a quote real quick. Um, mm-hmm. We've read this before on our very first episode of out Culture hey. channel. Uh, so Cheers. this is the that article about, uh, uh, or excuse me, the quote by Robert Hughes, uh, who is the uh, art critic. I think he's for Times Magazine, and this article came out in 1990. But I'm just going to read this this quote from him. So you know, it refers to the 1990s. But uh, the quote begins, "Uh, the conservative censorship we saw at work this year in the battle over the arts is certainly loathsome, but I believe that liberal censorship may pose one of the biggest impediments to free speech in the future, Hugh said. The sensibility police are out to promote the idea that no one should be allowed to say anything that might possibly offend anybody else under any circumstance that could make someone feel like an abused minority. I think this is a deadly course to follow, one that will not only cause free speech to suffer, but will ultimately destroy the language itself.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, when was it he wrote that? It was like 87. That was
1: 1990. 1990. 1990.
0: 1990 that time. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, he could see it all coming, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was there that, the whole time, but there's such a focus was like on, you know, attempts by the right people who are conservative or whatever trying to censor stuff and so i think a lot of more far left people were um, really playing up the kind of victim you know Mm -hmm. um, roles so once they had control of the institutions then it was their turn to censor
0: a lot of these people they don't really care about ending oppression or censorship they just want to be the ones oppressing and Mm -hmm. censoring
1: yeah well it's like uh neil young remember neil young used to be a big big speech guy yeah Uh, misinformation Uh. yeah
0: um okay i've got a john cleese clip that's pulled up this is a short one i don't think we'll get banned for this one let's play it
8: I'm offended every day. For example, the British newspapers every day offend me with their laziness, their nastiness, and their inaccuracy. But I'm not going to expect someone to stop that happening. I should just simply speak out about it. You know, sometimes when people are offended, they want to just come in and say, right, stop that to whoever is offending them. And of course, as a former... um, The BBC once said, there are some people one would wish to offend. I think there's truth in that too. So the idea that you have to be protected from any kind of uncomfortable emotion is one I absolutely do not uh, subscribe to. And a fellow that I helped write to um, books about psychology and psychiatry, he was a renowned psychiatrist in London called Robin Skinner, said something very interesting to me. He said, if people can't control their own emotions then they have to start trying to control other people's behavior. Yes. And when you're around super sensitive people, you cannot relax and be spontaneous because you have no idea what's going to upset them next. And that's why I've been warned recently, don't go to most university campuses Mm -hmm. because the political correctness has been taken from being a good idea, which is let's not be mean particularly to people who are not, able to look after themselves very well that's a good idea to the point where any kind of criticism of any individual or group can be labeled um, cruel and the whole point about humor the whole point about comedy and believe you me i've thought about this is that all comedy is critical Mm. even if you make a very inclusive joke like um, how do you make God laugh? Answer. Tell him your plans. Now, that's about the human condition. It's not excluding anyone. It's saying we all have all these plans, which probably won't come. And isn't it funny how we still believe they're going to happen? So that's a very inclusive joke. It's still critical. All humor is critical. If you start saying, oh, we mustn't, we mustn't criticize or offend them, then humor's gone. With humor, goes a sense of proportion. And then as far as I'm concerned, you're living in
0: 1984.
1: Yes. Well, it was like I was saying last week, it seems like a lot of the older British comedians are like really base. You know, John Cleese uh, brought up Roy Nackerson, Mr. Bean mm-hmm. who had a speech on, on free speech. Uh, it's it's kind of weird to, to see like the old, I guess we call them the old guard. Mm -hmm. I'm still defending those values, but you have a lot of newer, younger uh, comedians, British and American, that even if they do support free speech, are too afraid to stand up and say anything about it.
0: It is great to see, as you put it, the old guard coming and speaking common sense. And despite what that piece said earlier about trying to claim the woke, trying to claim George Carlin or Richard Pryor. I don't believe for a second that if they were alive today, that they would support all of the censorship in the name of making safe spaces at college campuses. No, I don't think so either. I just don't. I've got a Ricky Gervais one.
1: Yeah. Play It it.
0: Yeah. Okay.
4: Here we go.
1: If there's anyone, is he touring? Are they, they trying to cancel his tour stops in America if he's touring? that?
5: I don't know. know. They probably will.
1: Yeah.
5: So um, I'll I'll give you a big example. So uh, uh, I tweeted once, uh, I'm your typical um, liberal, lefty, snowflake, champagne socialist, uh, anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-homophobic sort of guy. But if I tweet about freedom of speech, I'm suddenly alt-right. And that's true. Because the alt-right have taken that on board for their own aims and the the left uh of they're worried about it because of the adoption of it
0: (coughs) excuse me no i actually disagree with him on this i like that he's speaking out in defense of free speech but i think he's wrong here the quote unquote alt-right they didn't take free speech on for themselves And then that resulted in the left being afraid of free speech because the right has like claimed it alt-right or right or whatever he's trying to say. That's not what happened. What happened is that the left became authoritarian. It happened while I was in it, it became authoritarian and they started opposing free speech in, in the furtherance of the social justice ideology. The social justice ideology cannot tolerate criticism. No form of tyranny, no form of authoritarianism can. And so What happened to the left is they rejected free speech in favor. They rejected the principle of free speech in favor of ideology instead. And then that left the only people willing to defend it, the concept of free speech, anyone to the right of the far left. And that includes liberals like myself who've been pushed out of the left or, you know, chose to leave the left because it's no longer liberal. That includes a huge spectrum of people. We're not in the minority, It includes a huge spectrum of people who are willing to defend free speech, but you've got this very loud, vocal, um, and powerful alt-left, if you will, social justice left, that runs all of the cultural institutions, the political institutions, the media institutions, and the corporations in this country right now. So I think he's wrong about that.
1: Yeah, well, I I think, uh, well, first of all, before all the censorship stuff, What's going on the internet was pretty wild place you could say a lot of things back then before people you know really were up in arms about it i sometimes forget just like how crazy it was i remember back when alex jones you know, had all his movies on youtube and he had this daily show on uh, all sorts of stuff but i think like the attempt to crack down on, on people saying certain things made a lot of people decide to try to piss people off even more to be more over the top more active and certainly that's where I think a lot of the um, like a better word energy went into to creating memes and, and things that just made fun of people and more purposely like, you know, shocking and over, over the top.
0: Yeah. Well, you're right. Definitely. And those people that I would call the, the alt-right is another one of those words that you have to define, right? right. Because it's changed when people first started using it they were using it to mean an alternative to sort of the rhinos, I think, or the, the more like neoconservatives, like the old, old guard. And then the media and everyone came to associate alt-right with specifically white nationalism, you know, racism. um, And so now it's known exclusively as that, and and other people who had been using it stopped using it. They're like, well, I'm not a part of that, actually, now that the word has ta- changed meaning, and now it's very specific and focused. And I would say, yes, even those people, you're right, white nationalists, people like that online um, on the, the what are some of those band sites, Storm whatever, that they hang on. I'm not going to say that they hang on. Like, they definitely do use the free speech defense, but I have no doubt they would take it away from us if they gained power again. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> they're authoritarians in their own right. Mm. But to say that it was sort of that that they claimed it and then the left became afraid of free speech, no, I don't think that's true. I think the left rejected free speech first. Yeah. Um, let's just see what else he says. In them.
5: And they start trying watering down, because... You know, this, this safe space thing that, um, you know, th- th- it's a nonsense that, to believe that some people deserve never to be offended their whole life. You know, um, it's great. and even in universities, there's people that, 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 I mean, where better to hear different ideas and argue? The great thing about freedom of speech, if an arsehole is being an arsehole, you've got the right to call him an arsehole. It, it's great. It's and it goes on. It's a good system. Um, <laughs> it, it really is a good system, and I, I think that you sh- you don't close down free speech because it's offensive. You argue with it. You have more free speech, and you expose the people. And and uh, you know. I, and I think that's the only way to do it. You shouldn't. You 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 shouldn't pave the jungle. You should make people um, bulletproof towards it, and it'll give them uh, the... the it's it's about it's about education and confidence and um, it, it's just crazy. And there are there are loads of caveats to free speech that we all agree with. We you know you shouldn't incite violence. I'm, I'm, there shouldn't be people shouldn't libel you. Shouldn't slander you. Food additives. You know watershed. These are all good. But what isn't good is um, you shouldn't say anything that someone will be upset about. That's too vague. It's too vague. And then you get tit for tat. You know, people saying, well, if I can't do that, then you can't do this. Um, and it, it, it just it goes back and forth. And it's all about people wanting to be heard.
1: Do, do you think social media was a mistake?
5: <laughs>
1: well,
0: <laughs> I think that remains to be seen because, no, I, I wouldn't say a mistake. I would just say, um, you, you know, my pastor. He, yeah. he did this great sermon once about technology and just sort of about um, how we don't have the ability to see necessarily down the road to all the repercussions from, that are going to come from new technologies. And so he was specifically, I think talking a little bit about virtual reality and the metaverse and some of these really concerning quotes from people like Mark Andreessen on the Facebook board, the people who've said that, that, uh, this is about reality privilege that they're creating a virtual world because most people don't have reality privilege and they don't have a really cool job or a cool spouse or, or partner. And so um, we're going to be living in this future where we make everyone equal in virtual reality. So you can like plug in all the time in this fake world and be equal.
2: <laughs>
0: That's what he was saying. So anyway, my pastor did a sermon kind of about new technology and virtual reality and, and the digital world. And, but what, he, what, he, what was interesting is he took it back to the automobile in terms of like that being a um, a new technology when the when the car was first introduced, and by the way, you guys can find this sermon if you want. I'll try and remember to put it in the comments below. Uh, my church is called Church on the Square, and they're on they are on YouTube. But I'll summarize what he said about the automobile: is that you know it's this it was this new technology that is supposed to do something very positive, where um, greater connectivity. You can you can now drive across the country. You can drive to see your friends, you can get out and about more into the world. And we are just looking at the positives of the automobile at first. But what we didn't have the ability to see was all the negatives that came with it as well, which is um, that we started living further and further apart. And the whole basic structure of towns and communities started to break down. And everything used to be sort of constructed around the town square, where you could walk to almost anything in most small towns. You could leave your house, you could walk to the school, you could walk to the hospital, to the church, to the bank, uh, to the store, and people would sit out on their stoops, on their porches, people would sit on their porches in the evenings and you would see your neighbors, you would walk by, people would have entire conversations and hang out on the porch. And that once, after the invention of the automobile, the town started spreading out, everything started leaving the town square. And he was sort of relating it back to the fact that, you know, a lot of people, you know, it's no big deal now to live 30 minutes outside of the town center and not know your neighbors <laughs> and to have to drive to get anywhere and not walk anymore, not sit on your porches anymore, not talk to each other, each other anymore. And that part of his sermon made me think of um, Fahrenheit 451, where one of the characters talks about how her un- she says, Our, my uncle said we used to have porches in the old times right and that the the government got rid of the porches because they didn't like us sitting out there talking to each other it's kind of chill again it just gave me goosebumps <laughs> thinking about it again
2: <laughs>
0: anyway the point being you can even look back in time back in history at things like the automobile and see how of course there's all these was the automobile a mistake no i don't think so but were there unintended consequences and some negatives that came from that in in, in terms of how we structure our lives and culture yeah there were there were some negative consequences and are have we seen negative cons are there positives with the internet yes and social media yes are there negatives absolutely and i don't think we know yet what all of those negatives are
1: right yeah because i've got i got in a conversation with a friend of mine uh i was texting back and forth when he thought that if it wasn't for social media we as a country would not be in as big of as a mess as we're in in terms of the left because it it gave them a voice and allowed them to, to act as a collective in order to silence other people. And So I, I, I still side more with you for the moment. You know, like you said, we still don't know what future holds. But um, as I've said before, you know, this technology has given us an opportunity to, to inform ourselves, to, to find out so much information that so many of us wouldn't have otherwise. There's, there's so many things that I would never have known if the Internet didn't exist. Um, so many people I would have met so many interesting you know thinkers yeah I wouldn't have found and so I I I, I still see the good in it mm-hmm. and I know there's a lot of bad in it but I I do think that a lot of that bad is just collected on sites like you know Twitter like you often hear people say Twitter's not the real world you know I think people on both sides sometimes can kind of mistake Twitter for the rest of of the world it's it's really more of a bubble and I don't think that's the values of more far left people on, on Twitter, I don't think, is as shared with the common man as many may think. But it shapes the real
0: world, yeah. Unfortunately, in the same way. I mean, look, they got Dave Chappelle canceled at a right. venue in Minneapolis. It shapes the real world in in the same way that I used to have when I started criticizing my old belief system around 2016. And 17, I had some liberal friends who were telling me, yes, I see what you're saying about this woke ideology at college campuses. I see all the dangers with it. I agree. I agree. But don't worry. It's just contained to college campuses. And when those guys graduate, those kids, you know, that's not going to fly in the real world. The university is not the real world. That's what they said, just about just like the same way they do about social media. But in reality, those people have a lot of power. It it did not stay contained to the university campuses. I wish they were right, but they weren't. They have that, that woke ideology has, it's the dominant religion in this country today.
1: The virus escaped containment.
0: Yeah. Oh, the porn bots are back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do we say? Ah. Uh, something that uh, aroused them.
0: Okay. I think I got rid of it. Uh, somebody said no moderator. Oh, she's here somewhere. Uh, I, I sent her. Almost gave her a heart attack when we played some George Carlin earlier. She says, "I'm trying, Greg." Oh, thank you, Amy. <laughs> <laughs>
6: We're being
0: attacked tonight, huh?
6: <laughs>
1: well,
0: sure is sure is uh, entertaining. <laughs> Did you have anything else you wanted to end on?
1: Uh, do we want to try to watch a funny video? It's yeah, really funny. Let's do that. Um, let's uh, let's do a. Uh, Alan Scott in chat earlier, I think I saw him mention um, a Kids in a Hall skit, which I've been thinking about playing this one uh, lately. Um, I can either send it to you or if you want to type it in Google's, Google. It's the Kids in the Hall um, art class skit. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: This is great. And this is so long ago. It could have been made today. Like they were looking into the future.
1: 30 years ago. Okay. But yeah. This is one of my favorite skits. which is a, I've said it before, but their new show on Amazon is pretty good. Pretty good. Still as They're still as weird as they used to be.
0: Pretty, pretty dark. Pretty, <laughs> pretty good. Amy asked, two sisters asked, uh, but wait, what does Chris think about the new kids in the hall? You
1: like I it? I love it. Yeah. I've always loved kids in the hall. Uh, Red Letter Media recently did a review, a review of uh, Brain Candy, which I watched that. You know, a few months prior to the review and I hadn't seen it since it came out and I still love it. It's not like a great movie, but it's still very much kids in the hall. All right, uh,
2: everyone. Uh, today, today we're going to be tackling what, it, what is one of the most fundamental, yet one of the most demanding drawing exercises that any aspiring artist may undertake. We're, we're going to be sketching the female nude today, uh, but I'm going to ask you not to focus on portraiture so much at this point. Just focus on, on, on lines and shadow and form, okay? Uh, Sylvia, if you please. Hey, 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 yes, hey, yes. hey! Yes, yes. Excuse me, <laughs> Mr. Dwyer. But uh, I, uh, I took this class to learn how to sketch. Not to ogle some poor yeah, female yeah. nude. Oh, no, well, well, this isn't about ogling. No, no, we're just going to uh, uh, observe line and, and, and shadow and form yeah. and, and we're going to use economic repression to once again exploit a woman's body. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think that's what we're doing here. No? no. Excuse me. Uh, sister, are you being paid? Yes. <laughs> I rest my case. Well, of course she's being paid. She's a professional artist model. I... I see no reason why we shouldn't use her. Oh. Use her? <laughs> you know, I wish you could hear yourself, sir. Remember, language is a virus. Well, I, 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 I certainly didn't mean to infect anyone. I, you know, <laughs> That's no excuse. Sexism in any context is never appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) But what about our charcoal technique? Don't change the subject here, sir. This class is a travesty. That poor woman child is just another victim of the patriarchy. She is? I I am. Hate crime. Hate crime. Not only that, it is also a racist construct. This woman represents the same white image of beauty that has oppressed women for centuries. Hate crime. Hate crime. Where are the new models of color? The people of girth, the handicapped people the elderly, of girth, the queer. <laughs> naked, fat, black, crippled dykes are hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> I I I, I'm sorry. I said that. I I apologize. You you white male, (laughs) gotta go up my black anger. I'm trying to understand your black anger. Show it to me again. Shut. Thank you. I understand now. (laughs) Sir. You leave me only one alternative. I must walk out and call for a boycott of your classes. (laughs) Anybody who stays is obviously a racist. Or a up. Shut Shut up! up. Well, you know, these issues are certainly valid, and uh, uh, we could have a a discussion. Bye. Well, okay. Uh, I assume we have serious artists left. Uh, uh, Sylvia, if you please.
8: Come on, take it off, baby. Come on. No, no, no.
2: Right. Come on, out. Everyone out. Come on, out of here. Out. Come on, move it, move it out. I'm disgusted. I'm, I'm terribly. I'm so sorry. I'm Sylvie. I'm just. <sighs> uh,
1: that was
0: great.
1: Well, it's funny in the comments below. People like there are people trying to say, "Oh, all you people that think this is making fun of woke, you don't know, pay attention to the end because the guys were sexist." So this whole... Oh my know- goodness, that's what's funny. Oh, these people have no <laughs> sense
0: of humor. Oh, do we? If you have to explain the joke, it's like you don't deserve <laughs> the joke. Like, just get out. Yeah. Get out of the art class. Get out of the comedy room. Ah. Oh. Uh, a couple of uh, comments i saw in the chat that were funny well greg asked social justice exists in the 90s yes it did this is when i was indoctrinated in the late 90s when i was in college so it did it just it wasn't in the mainstream then this this was absolutely stuff like this was happening in college classes that i was like that that i went to that was in um but it wasn't it wasn't so well known then and I could never have imagined that it would be so mainstream now. Scott Miller says, "I'd love to laugh, but it just makes me want to cry." And uh, Jay says, "Yeah, this is soul crushing in 2022 because it kind of came, it all came true, right?"
1: Yeah, you should uh, if you ever have time listening to some interviews with uh, Scott Thompson. Uh, he's the the gay From one. Kids in
0: the hall. Yeah,
1: he's super based. And he has, like, a whole stand-up routine as his flamboyant gay character, Buddy Cole, where he just makes fun of, like, woke people and feminists and make fun of the meet ha- uh, hashtag MeToo stuff. And he's I'm really impressed
0: some of the That's stuff. All, That yeah. is so great to hear. I love <laughs> that. So I guess we should wrap it up. It's been over two hours. Uh, I had fun hanging out with you guys. Sorry that it, you know this was a wild night. I hope that this video is still up, and if you're watching this tomorrow, we survived a day on the on the channel despite that little George Carlin doing all his words. <laughs> Woo! <Woo-hoo! laughs> oh,
1: that gonna...
0: went on for a long time. I encourage you guys to go watch it on your own. It's a homework. <laughs> it's a homework. Uh, yeah. So, anything else? Chris, before we end it?
1: No, I'm just going to go check out that bot site.
0: Oh, <laughs> they made a compelling case.
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah I'm sold. Oh. Pasted it, they pasted it like 15 times.
0: Yes. I should plug this. I don't do it often enough. Uh, please consider subscribing to sisters and sitting yard says you can subscribe to locals. If you want to support the show financially, we've got a uh, locals, a Patreon and a subscribe star. And, uh, Locals is where we're going to be putting things. Locals and Rumble and Odyssey are where we're going to put things that do get banned from YouTube. So um, we've got all of those sites up and running. And
1: yeah, uh, yeah. there's a, a couple episodes of pop culture that were uh, banned on YouTube that you might be able to find on Odyssey.
0: Yeah. Oh, this is a great quote to go out on. Ozzy Mandius, Thank you, sir. Says Chrissy. He means Chrissy Mayer. Once said that nothing is off limits as long as it's funny. I agree. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. I hope you have a great Wednesday and a great rest of your week. Tomorrow, uh, I have a deprogrammed interview coming out with, uh, I'm not sure yet, it's either going to be Josiah Rises or Christina Buttons. So tune in tomorrow at 6 o'clock Texas time and you'll see which one it is. Um, Really, I was so excited to speak with both of them. Um, Josiah Rises, I was really impressed with his he's got this whole production company in the works called Epic Verse, And it, hmm. I just can't wait for you guys to hear that one because it's, it's inspiring. And if you're looking for alternative media, you know, there's Eric July, who's doing rip Now who's doing comics. Um, and then you've, you've got Josiah working on Epic verse, which is going to be TV, like series, series and films that are outside the system. So that's really exciting news. Anyway, tune in tomorrow.
5: Bye. Bye.